Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, now through your word and by your spirit, we pray that you would show us the Son of God. Show us Jesus. Lift him high before us that all of us might be drawn unto him. Lord, we pray that, Lord, as we look to your word, that we would come with open hearts to receive what you would have to tell us this morning. For Lord, you know each of us right where we are, exactly who we are, and you want to take us somewhere. You want to make us more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we once again surrender ourselves to your lordship in our lives and pray that you would speak to our hearts Make us more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, I have to tell you that back-to-school time has always been one of my most favorite times of the year. When I was a kid, sure, definitely as a parent, I absolutely love back-to-school time as a parent. And some commercial years ago got it right. It was some big box store about where you can buy your school supplies, but they were playing behind it what was traditionally a Christmas song, but I think more aptly uh, applied to the back-to-school period of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And so we're excited. But back to school is really a period of new beginnings. It's a time for new beginnings. You get fresh school supplies. How many of you enjoyed getting new crayons? I mean, I can still remember going and getting the crayons. And, and there's a certain brand you got to get. Uh, there's some that aren't that great, but you got to get. And, and sometimes my parents would splurge and get me the big box that had the sharpener on the back. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the good stuff right there. But you get new notebooks and new pencils and new pens and new supplies and still don't know the difference between a compass and a protractor, but we know you got to have both of them. And so we are excited. And, and then there's the new styles, the new clothes. How many of you are excited that mullets are back in style? I know some of you are looking around at middle schoolers thinking, I could rock that better than you, and I did just look in my yearbook. Mullets are, my son wanted a mullet. But his mother still has veto power because we pay for his life. And mom vetoed that decision. Uh, it's, It's a time for new classrooms, new groupings, new settings, new, new. In fact, it's it's a year that's gonna be remembered as the 2022-2023 school year. And we have a lot of retired educators in here. How many of you can go back to years that are marked by A number, a hyphen, and another number, but you can remember that year. You remember what happened in that year. You remember the growth that took place in that year. Some of you received classes that you thought you'd never get through that year. And others of you wept as that class went on to the next grade. Sometimes tears of joy, sometimes tears of sorrow, sometimes a little bit of all of that. But it's a time in which God will move. It's a season. It's a season in which our God will bring about growth. He'll bring about growth in the students, for sure, but he'll also bring about growth in the parents. He'll bring about growth in the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the guardians, the foster dads and foster moms. He'll bring about growth in the educators, in the teachers who are in the classroom, in the administrators, in the staff, and all the people that come together. He'll bring about growth in our community. You know, I had football coaches who always used to say that football was a microcosm of life. 
And what that meant was that what happened on a football field was kind of a scale model of what would happen throughout the course of a life. And really, all of our educational journey is designed to be a microcosm of life. I mean, think about it. As the students engage this school year, they will be presented with information. And they're going to need to assess that information and then assimilate that information and then apply that information in ways that will be beneficial both to themselves and then also to the world around them. But along the way, they're also going to have to face adversity. Some of that adversity will be by design. Some of that diversity or adversity will, will be informed on the syllabus. This is what you're going to have to do. How many of you found that writing a paper can be a form of dealing with adversity? Taking a test is a form of dealing with adversity. They're going to have to overcome those things. But then there will be the obstacles that present themselves in interpersonal relationships. Maybe they and the teacher won't get along that great. And they may be tempted to say, well, so-and-so just doesn't like me. And that's not true. At least, ideally, that's not true. But the idea is that we're going to have to learn to get along. Or maybe in classroom relationships. That person took my milk. Some of the maddest moments in my elementary school life was when somebody took my milk at the lunch table. Don't take my milk. But they're going to have to, they're going to, have to engage with those obstacles and learn how to overcome them. That's life. Because eventually they're going to be out and they're going to have to deal with what? They're going to have to deal with adversity. They're going to be hit with a barrage of information. You have more information at your fingertips right now than any human being has ever had in the history of the world. All the information you want is right there on your phone. You can access it immediately. So what do you have to do? You have to learn how to assess that information, how to assimilate that which is true and right and good and then apply it in your life to bless yourself and to bless others. And along the way, you're going to face adversity. You're going to have to overcome obstacles. Some of them will be part of life that you're absolutely expecting and some of them will catch you by surprise. So we want to pray that this year is a year of growth. Of course, growth in knowledge, but something even more important than that as well, wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I would argue that, that knowledge is information that has been received. And it is information that is rightly received, but then you can't stop there. I would say that wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So I've, I've got the information, I've assessed it, I've assimilated the good stuff, that which is true and right and good, and now I'm applying it in my life in a way that is beneficial. That's wisdom. It's knowing what decision to make and when to make it and how to make it so that you reach the desired end. You know that God deals in wisdom. Of course, there's knowledge. We have to receive the knowledge, but God calls us to wisdom. He calls us to live our lives according to His truth, His righteousness, His direction, His wisdom. I want to invite you to open with me to James chapter 1. Going back to James, we're going today to verses 5 through 8. If you are in the room here with us, that is Pew Bible page 1011. 1011. And our theme for today's message is this, if you're taking notes, by faith we trust God. By faith we trust God to deliver to us the wisdom we need to navigate the world so that we might thrive in life. I once heard the story of a college commencement speaker 
who got up to speak and all the pomp and circumstance and all the academic regalia and all those sorts of things and this, this college commencement speaker approached the podium and said, you know, it really doesn't matter how smart you are or how successful you've been in your educational journey if you cannot make an independent moral decision. Because it doesn't matter if you got straight A's or straight C's or anywhere in between. If you cannot make an independent moral decision, you will never thrive in life. And somebody who was sitting in the crowd leaned over and said, what's this all about? And this man had just recently attended the funeral of his son, whose 4.0 GPA did not keep him from getting into some drugs that were laced with some bad stuff and making a decision that wasn't wise. So we got to deal in wisdom. God calls us to dwell in wisdom, and he teaches us how. James chapter 1, we're going to read all of verses 5 through 8 and then walk verse by verse through it. James, the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. By faith, we trust God. Our first point today is this. By faith, we trust God's wisdom. In verse 5, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Why would we go to God for wisdom? Well, because God is all-wise. He is omniscient. He knows all things, but he is also wise. Theologian Wayne Grudem describes God's wisdom as meaning this, that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to reach those goals. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to reach those goals. And throughout the Scripture, we hear of God's wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable His ways. Jeremiah 10, verse 12 tells us that it is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. And Paul even writes to the church at Corinth that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God is infinitely wise. He is our perfect source of wisdom. If we need wisdom, we go to Him, for He is the source, the fountain of all wisdom. But we also recognize that God's wisdom is different from the world's wisdom. Have you found that? Doesn't take long to look around and say, God does things different from the world. Why is that? Well, because God knows all things and we are trying to figure it out. There's brokenness in the world and we're trying to figure out maybe where it came from, sure, but most of all, how do we get past it? And people are trying a whole lot of experiments to try to get past it. Maybe you have tried an experiment to get past the brokenness. Things don't feel right. They feel off. So maybe if I do this thing, it will help. Maybe if I engage in this relationship, it will help fix the brokenness. You know what I've found? 
in 17 years now of marriage and a whole lot of years of marriage counseling, as I've sat with couples, no human being will fix it. They may be wonderful, but when you're brushing your teeth next to them, you learn more about them than you ever wanted to know. They aren't going to fix everything. In fact, they're going to introduce new problems to you. And then you have children. And I've had couples come in my office and say, we decided to have kids and thought that would fix everything. And I said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's add some sleep deprivation and tighter finances to the mix and see what happens. I'm sure it'll help. Children are wonderful, but they wreck the world. I mean, you know, they, they just change everything. They're, they're beautiful, but they can drive you crazy. We think the right relationship will do it. The right expression of who I feel like I am in this moment of time will do it. The right substance might even do it. Just something to fix the brokenness. And God, God disagrees with that. He tells us to look to Him. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask me. There's a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but its end is the way of death. We go to God. And God offers His wisdom to all who seek it, but God's wisdom must be spiritually discerned. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. God gives His wisdom generously to all people, but we have to spiritually discern it. How do we do that? Well, we spiritually discern God's wisdom first by fearing and worshiping Him. The Bible says in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9-10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And Psalm 111 verse 10 echoes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means I submit myself to Him to trust and follow Him, that that is my default posture that I trust God and I am given over to follow Him. And so I can now spiritually discern His wisdom and then I read His Word. Enlightened by His Holy Spirit, I say, God, what have you said? And then I, I take that in. And when I take in the Word of God, when I hide the Word of God in my heart, now the Spirit of God who dwells in me as a believer in Jesus Christ will take that Word and appropriate it in my life. This is where this applies. This is how you live this out. So, by faith, we trust God's wisdom. But now look what he says in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Our second point. By faith, we trust God's character. By faith, we trust God's character. As a follower of Christ, again, my posture toward God defaults to belief. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So I come to Him seeking Him in a posture of faith and believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. And, then, and when, when that changes, when my fundamental posture toward God starts to drift from a place of belief then by His Spirit, I fight to come back. I'm like, the, I'm like the dad who brought his son to Jesus. You remember? The boy was, was having convulsions. He was demonized. He was plagued by the demonic. 
And the, the dad brought the son to see Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. The disciples were there. So he said, maybe you can do something. The disciples weren't able to help. And then Jesus walked up. And what did, they, what did the father say to Jesus? If you can do something, please help. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And, and then the father uttered a prayer in the form of a statement to Jesus that actually, it means so much to me that I have it hanging on my wall in my office. He simply said, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, my fundamental posture toward you is a posture of belief, but I'm struggling right now, so please help my unbelief. Have you ever thought about what's going on when you doubt God? Because I'm gonna go ahead and answer for you that you've doubted God before. In fact, I'll go ahead and answer for me. I've doubted God before. Well, what's usually happening there is we're living in our fight or flight trying to respond to a situation that has happened to us, and we're not in the frontal lobe. We've got to move from the amygdala to the frontal lobe. We've got to get out of the fight or flight and into the, the rational part of our brain. And one of the ways we do that is by saying, if I'm doubting God, then what am I thinking about Him? I think it's one of several things. I may be thinking that God is misinformed. That God just isn't aware of all the intricacies of my situation. He doesn't know what's going on. And so I ask myself, is God misinformed about my situation? Well, no, He's omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. He knows things that we're laboring to try to figure out, and He knows things that exist that we're not even looking for because we're not even that smart yet to know they exist to look for them. God knows all things, so he is not misinformed about my situation. In fact, he knows more about my situation than I do right now. So again, I think, God doesn't know what's going on. Wait a minute. The truth is that he really does know what's going on, and he knows what's going on better than I know what's going on. Or maybe I think he's just mistaken. God, you're wrong. You're getting this one wrong. You don't understand, and therefore you are not acting in accordance with good sense. You don't know what you're doing in this situation. Now, you would never say that in Sunday school, would you? You would never teach that to anybody else, but sometimes when the pressure's on, that's what we feel. God, you're just mistaken, but, but His Word says that His understanding is beyond measure. He knows better than we do because he knows more than we do. He sees the whole picture. So again, we get out of that fight or flight and we get into the, the rational part of our brain that says, no, God, God's not mistaken. He's not misinformed about my situation. He's not mistaken about leading me down the wrong path. And you say, well, maybe he's just mean. Maybe he's like some cosmic kid with a magnifying glass and a sun shining in the day, and I'm the ant he's trying to torture. Maybe God's just trying to torture me. Maybe he's enjoying this. Now, again, you would never say that out loud, but you felt it before, I bet. Maybe God's just being mean to me. But you know, in Ezekiel 18, 32, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. And he says, so turn and live. No, God is not some cosmic kid with a magnifying glass trying to torture us. Sometimes it feels that way. We would never say that. So again, we've got to get out of the fight or flight and into the, the rational part of our brain and say, no, that's not true about God. He's not mean. Or maybe we think he's mad at us. Just mad. I've done something wrong. God's mad at me. He's going to get me. 
You know the Bible says that if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. We talked about that at Vespers. We talked about it in our podcast, Beyond Sunday. We talked about it in prayer meeting this week because it's real easy to feel like God is mad at me and punishing me. But if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation left for you. All of your punishment for all of your sin was placed on Jesus at the cross. And that's why 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what do we do? We, we pause for a moment and say, okay, God's not misinformed, he's not mistaken, he's not mean, and he's not mad at me. I'm his child. And we go with Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said the Christian believes God to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour, and believes that all is well. Or as that quote has been rearranged uh, and attributed to Charles Spurgeon, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken, and when you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. So by faith, we trust God's character. And we pause and say, in the midst of my doubt, let me get into the rational part of my brain and go to what I know. And let me dwell in what I know, not what I feel right now, because what I feel right now is leading me astray. Let me get to what I know. And now look at verses 7 and 8. For that person, the doubter, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Third point, by faith, we trust God's direction. By faith, we trust God's direction. What is being pictured here in verse 7 and 8 is somebody who just vacillates from one side to the other. Maybe I'll try God's way. Maybe I'll try the world's way. Maybe I'll try God's way. Maybe I'll try my way. Maybe I'll try God's way. Maybe I'll try this new philosopher's way. Maybe I'll try God's way. Maybe I'll try… You ever been caught in that little loop? It's not profitable, is it? Because God's way is always the right way. But sometimes we get caught up thinking that God's going to mess this up somehow. And so instead of going God's way, we try to find a new way. When Paul went to Mars Hill, all the greatest philosophers in the world, what were they doing? They were sitting there on that rocky crag under this amazing Acropolis in Athens, trying to find something new. Why were they trying to find something new? Because everything they had found had quit working. You ever been there? You tried it, but it didn't work. Now you need something new. And all the while, God is saying, come to me. You need wisdom? You're trying to figure out how to navigate this life? You're trying to figure out how to navigate these trials? You're trying to figure out how to navigate a new moment of life in a 2022-2023 school year? Come to me. You're trying to navigate a new moment of life with your kids and you're not sure what to do next because you feel like you've tried everything. Come to me, God says. You just dropped your kid off at college? Well, I do. Come to me, God says. 
You need wisdom. Come to Him. Come to Him through His Word. Come to Him through His Spirit. Come to Him recognizing that He is Lord. And you're ready and willing to walk in His wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, and this is at the bottom of your notes, God tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding will lead you astray. It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And so on this Back to School Sunday, as 2022-2023 opens, may we be the kind of people who seek first His wisdom, seek first His guidance, seek first His instruction, willing through His Spirit to walk in His way, to do what He said to do. And all the while, trusting His heart every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we recognize and affirm that there are moments when we cannot trace your hand. But in those moments, help us by your Spirit to trust your heart. Help us not to figure it out the best we can or to take the wisest wisdom the world might have to offer. You tell us that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to you, for you are all-knowing. You are all-wise. You are God over all. If we lack wisdom, help us come to you. Help us, Lord, surrender to you. Help us trust and follow you. For we believe that your way is better, always and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.